Greetings. One must not get one's knickers in a twist. How you do? So, I am here today. Uh, with two of my favourite history broadcasters, one of which is laughing at me and the other one which is giving thumbs up. I had this idea that it would be nice to get these two together. It was very selfish, it was very narcissistic because it's basically what I wanted and so therefore <laughs> I felt like they needed to do it. However, they have come together today and we are, we, they are going to talk about um, the education system, what irks them about the way that history is taught and um about they're going to tell us about some stuff that's not on the syllabus that should be so uh, i don't know if you want to start by introducing yourself because i'm guessing your separate audiences will know who you are but they might not know who the other person is so ladies first ladies first <laughs> thank you ali uh hey it's me your old pal kate malden uh from the youtube and igtv channels kate can do history as well as comrade kate from dixieland of the proletariat found on all of your favorite podcast streaming services. Um, basically, what I do is um, on Can Do, we do um, history lessons in 15 minutes or less um, from a kind of just leftist perspective, uh, trying to go through stories um, from labor history, from indigenous history, um, from world revolutionary history, fra- featuring um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color trying to just push those stories, um, the ones that weren't written by the victor, like a little bit more to the front. And then over on Dixieland of the Proletariat, um, basically what we are doing over there is uh, trying to give a bit more voice to the left in the South, uh, because people tend to think that the Southeastern United States is a bit of a redneck monolith. um, And there's a lot more um, good forward-thinking progressive people below the Mason-Dixon line than people think. So trying to just tell those stories and unite all of those people uh, in the common goal of the South Rising again, but for the right reasons this time. <laughs> Quickly becoming one of my all-time favorite podcasts at the moment. So that Thank is you, very, very interesting. Alongside the other person that is with us. Me, I don't think I can beat that introduction. I think that was a lot better than I will ever do. But um, I'll try. Hello, I'm Ollie. Um, I'm from the very long titled History Emporium and Powers podcast. Um, I'm a relatively new player to the game. Um, I basically talk about all things uh, of my my love of history. So um, there's loads of history that I don't know about. There's uh, there's a lot that I do know about, so that's why I'm really excited to to, to sort of chat to Kate because I don't I don't really know many Americans, so um, you can educate me and I can educate you and we can take it from there. So yeah, excited to be here. I am happy to be everybody's best American friend. You can, well, yes, good. It's been a weird thing with the pandemic. Like, I feel like I've made a lot of international friends that I haven't actually met just by virtue of social media in the strange times. I love so, it. Uh, it's good. It's fun though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm very grateful that this pandemic happened in a time where we can get together like this 
and not like 20 years ago where it would have been very difficult. <laughs> oh, we'd just be playing Snake on our Nokias. <laughs> you say Nokia funny. That's fun. Nokia. Everyone, Is that how you say it? Yeah. We say Nokia. In, in America, we say Nokia. Oh, no, I don't know should... if that's. I don't know what's right. I don't know what the actual pronunciation would be. Then it never occurred to me that there's more than one pronunciation of that word. How would you say it, Dan? Would you Nokia. say the same as Nokia? Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's just it's that brusque, abrupt way that we speak and pronounce things. I think I don't think I think the only way to find out would be to go to the country that it comes from, which I can't remember. It's in Asia. Say, Korean, <laughs> yeah. Say, how do you pronounce this word, and let them tell us. But... They're not really a thing anymore, are they? Nokia is that? A... I don't know. This is no. this is this is know. Kate. This is this is the issue that you're going to have with me and Ollie being on the same broadcast. Is that we <laughs> go on tangents? Tangent. <laughs> we'll always come round to the actual point at some point. So we'll get That'll there. That'll be fine. We'll It'll get there. It'll be fine. It's especially um, since we put Dan in charge of facilitating and he's the most tangential. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah. And then you've got me as well. So I, I promise I won't go into any weird offshoots too no, much. Please anyway. do. Please um, do. I'm very excited it's about somewhere the... in the middle of this. You have to solve science. That's what's important. I mean, that, that will happen. That's par for course. I'm very excited about the topic <laughs> that you chose because I um, love history. I, it was my favorite subject at school. I did it as a degree. I have taught it. So I'm very excited that this is the topic that you've chosen. And I can't wait for you two to start talking about it and me to chip in. <laughs> so all right, to you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it then. Um, so kind of when we were talking about what we wanted to do to like honor Dan's um, dogged determination <laughs> to get us into the same figurative room this is the, f- uh, the fourth attempt, isn't it, as well? Nerds. It's been like a month at the very minimum <laughs> of trying to get this together. Um, but, you know, in the wake of, you know, the pandemic and, you know, the uprisings that are springing up now at this point, not only across the United States, but, you know, across the entire world, um, and having everyone facing this reconciliation with our pasts in order to use the present to create a better future. Um, It's really just kind of come to like everyone's attention that, you know, not only are we taught history, you know, from the perspective of the winner of the victor of the people who benefit most from that narrative. uh, But also that like this information is really out there and it's not that hard to dig up if you really look for it. And so it's up to, you know, nerds, like me and Ali to make sure that that information gets out there to people. And so we started talking about, you know, like, well, what are things that we know now that we wish we had been taught well in school and why weren't we taught those things? And the first thing that popped into my mind and full disclosure, this is because, you know, I've been watching hunters on Amazon (laughs) because, you know, (laughs) As, as a Jewish American woman, when I need to relax, I'm going to watch Al Pacino hunt down Nazis and murder them brutally. It's very entertaining <laughs> to me. Cannot recommend Sounds that. Sounds better to me. Yeah. Uh, right. Um, but, you know, the narrative of that show centers largely around um, the uncovering of Operation Paperclip. And what Operation Paperclip was is something that, you know, you learn about in university if you were taking 
you know, contemporary American history or political science coursework, um, but you don't learn about it in college. And it's a very instrumental part of the space race between the United States and the USSR, uh, because ultimately what Operation Paperclip was, uh, was um, a program in which following World War II, uh, the United States government basically extended an invitation to 1,600 Nazi scientists, um, high-ranking officials who had been enslaving prisoners from death camps and forcing them to work in bomb factories, uh, ultimately taking those bombs and using them against, you know, your countrymen, against British people on British soil. And uh, we gave them a get-out-of-jail-free card, and we invited them to the United States, and we put them to work specifically for NASA, um, working on in particular, like the most significant, the Saturn V rocket program. And the Saturn V rocket is what ultimately repelled the Apollo missions to the moon. Uh, so, you know, long story short on all of that, but we as a country covered up the fact and don't teach the fact that we allowed over a thousand Nazi war criminals into the United States, gave them new identities, paid them government salaries to basically engage in a symbolic war against communism because if you if you dig deeper beyond that the real reasons behind the space race have very little to do with scientific research or technological advancement and everything to do with showing that the first world is mightier than the second world um so like in just a quick moment like what do you all as Englishmen, what do you all know about the space race between the U.S. and the USSR? Um, well, not much, actually. The only reason I know about the, the Germans coming over is because I've been doing a lot of um, uh, research. I've been over to Berlin. Um, I've done a lot of research on East Berlin. So I kind of found out that way. But in regards to, to being at school, we get taught nothing. We get taught a man called Neil Armstrong went on the moon and that was literally it <laughs> from, from, from my school. I mean, I don't know about Dan. Um, obviously we were brought up in two different places, but um, not a lot to be honest. I had a very good history teacher when I was doing my GCSEs at school and we part, we did the modern world unit for GCSE history, which I don't actually think exists anymore. Mm. Um, part of that was looking at uh, communism and the space race came up as a brief touch point. So I know the bare bones about the reasoning behind it and the early sequencing of Gagarin in space first and then the US on the moon first. And that's kind of it, really. And honestly, like, if you were looking at it from a perspective of significant moments in the space race, that's it because the space race was it wound up being a race to the moon and so my follow-up question to that is do either of you know any of the like great scientific discoveries that happened felt like in regards to the moon landing i literally have no idea nope. <laughs> like, you want to no, you want to know why yeah yeah because there weren't because there weren't any <laughs> okay that makes me feel slightly <laughs> better i have to say 
Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, I was just like, oh my God, I sound really thick now when I do a history podcast. Um, right? Yeah. But okay, that's well, fine. So there I am wasn't turning any. it basically into a slight engineering podcast. Basically, you know, getting to the moon, there wasn't any like real point of discovery. And so like, I would just like to go from there and kind of dive into the fact that um, in modern day US, and my background is as I used to be a high school history teacher. Um, so I have been through the ringer on what texts are available and how this is taught. Um, it's still coming from a very Cold War perspective of U.S. good, U.S.S.R. bad, capitalism good, communism bad, end of story, with little nuance surrounding it. And so it's upholding the space race as, you know, this huge victory against yeah. the USSR. And that's literally all that it was. Because if you actually take a deeper dive into what the space race cost um, and the context surrounding the space race um, from when it started in the 1950s up until today, the entire attitude towards it culturally changes. Um, so for example, um, 10 years after you know we got men onto the moon. Um, so in 1979, there were multiple polls, con public opinion polls conducted um, on the 10 year anniversary of that uh, to see how people felt about it. And at that point, only 10 years after, you know, we got people onto the moon, only 47% of Americans thought it was a good use of our money. <laughs> so we never had like, you know, oh. even people who were like active and present and watching you know, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin take that one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind in that moment, appreciating the magnitude of it and like how, like what type of accomplishment it was, still didn't necessarily think that that was a great way to be spending all of our money because it was really, <laughs> really, really expensive to get there. But then on the 20 year anniversary um, in 1989, they conducted the exact same poll again and approval had shot up to 77%. So, you know, basically you can see this rebranding of this, of, you know, the moon landing as this piece of specific Americana um, mm. And this, you know, great triumph of the American spirit, you know, happening entirely through the Reagan era as we got into more conservative politics and the first wave of Make America Great Again, um, you know, this became encapsulated and re-enshrined as this, you know, great American achievement. Uh, but at the time it had zero public support. So why the fuck did we do it? Um, <laughs> I'm going to swear all the way through this because I can't help yeah, it yeah. and we're just going to have to get used to that. Oh, I um, love so, it. That's your, that's your style, <laughs> isn't it? I love it. I mean, just, I mean, like, I know that in Dan and Emma land, no one gives a fuck about a fucking fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> do you know what? Well, they, they, they won't give a fuck anymore. No fucks are given. Yeah, make all right, cool. No one's bleeping a goddamn thing. No, um, let's do it. So basically, John F. Kennedy, um, who we you know champion as the man who initially introduced um, you know, the Civil Rights Act of 1964, although he did not live to see it passed, um, there is a great irony into that being like his major pet peeve of or pet peeve a pet piece of legislation. <laughs> in that he also just had the worst hard on for fighting communists. Like he just had this, <laughs> just could not allow communism to prevail. Like it was absolutely not. And you see that manifesting itself in huge, you know, 
mistakes in, you know, in the Bay of Pigs, in the entirety of the Cold War. Um, he wanted to fight communism, and it's really, really hard to fight an ideology. And so he just mucked it up across the board. So the, the, the space race, and he was very open about this, had absolutely nothing to do with wanting to, you know, beat, you know, the USSR in regards to actual development. It was just symbolic victories all the absolutely. way through. Um, and I think that oftentimes we forget because one of the things that I have a distaste for in, you know, social studies education in the United States is we tend to treat everything as very, very encapsulated as we go through. And, there, and instead of treating things as, you know, cogs and pieces of a larger puzzle of a larger picture um, as a larger narrative. Um, and when we encapsulate things like that, we tend to forget that the space race was completely concurrent with the civil rights movement uh, you know, of, you know, of the 1950s and the 1960s and onwards into the 70s. So you have the United States spending billions and billions and billions of dollars building rockets, launching people into space, uh, making mistakes all the way through it, um, and ultimately declaring victory over getting men onto the moon when, quite frankly, the USSR actually did beat us to the moon um, on February 3rd, 1966. Uh, Luna 9 landed on the moon and, you know, was able to take soil samples and rock samples and things like that and all the stuff that you would want out of a moon landing. Like, they beat us! And we pretend that we don't because we're just like, fine, we're going to take it a step further and we're going to have oh. people walk around with <laughs> the footprints. So that's why it's but, always but like, talking about the man space, like the man, the land, the man yes. landing rather than just the landing exactly. on the moon. That's, ah, language. Yeah. Exactly. That's so really interesting because I never knew that. That's yeah, really it interesting. it took us another three years to put a man on the moon, and it was really just for the purpose of saying that we did it. It was entirely a symbolic victory, and symbolic victories are bullshit. Like they're not constructive. You know, like it's the same thing that we see going on right now, where you know, you know, every time somebody declares that they're going to, you know hold on a piece of kente cloth and kneel on the floor in Congress. Um, that's an argument for another day. Like that's symbolism. Like what does it actually achieve? Yeah. Like what, what, like what practical benefit is there to it? And, you know, when you have, when you're in the midst of the civil rights movement and people are dying in the streets and being attacked by police dogs and shot down with water hoses and, you know, jailed as political prisoners in their own country, no one gives a crap about your moon landing basically. Yeah all the way to the point um, that there was active polling for approval all the way through the 1950s and 1960s. And um, the highest approval rating that it ever got was 55%. And that was entirely within the week surrounding Apollo 11, the manned missions to the moon, because it was kind of undeniable that like, holy crap, man is going to walk on the moon and that's amazing. But in every other moment, it was never above 50%. The majority of the country, it was just like, this is a ridiculous waste of money to the point where it was like, there was federal legislation. Yes, Dan is raising his hand like Sorry. a good student. Yes, <laughs> yes, Mr. Isset. I just know that Zoom um, puts the, the emphasis on whoever's talking. So I didn't want to overspeak you in case I cut out what you're saying. I just wondered, is there a reason why they were polling people all the way through the 50s? Is it just because it was public money and there was an obligation to do it? Or was it just to see whether they were in the right, um, I don't know. 
a lot of this is it's it's independent polling. This isn't the government reaching out to people and being like, "Are you chill with us spending these tax dollars?" Um, so a lot of this came like came through places like Gallup, which are independent pollsters, which is very important to make sure that that type of data is coming from independent places because it tends to be a lot more objective, um, you know. And you know, if you like don't like the numbers and you disagree with them, you know, you can do stuff like I mean, the current administration's re-election campaign and. Reach out to CNN and say, hey, you owe us an apology for accurately <laughs> reporting data. Um, you can't I mean, do that. You just look like an idiot. Should but... I put my, ha- <laughs> put my hand up as well? Um, uh, question for Mr. Green. Question. Um, so, like with the data and the statistics and stuff, we know that they can be skewed, can't we? So, like, Absolutely. we'll... Will these will this bits of information come from loads of different sources, or will it just be the independent sources that you were talking about? Um, it's fr- it's from multiple polling companies. Right. So this okay. is you know it's ve- it's 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 very it's always been very common to just like seek public opinion on what the government is doing. Yeah. Um, it's become more difficult because it's done largely by telephone polling uh, to ensure. Um, proper demographics and sample um i i totally used to i worked for a pollster in college i was gonna say like because uh yeah it's accurate data yeah i can say that that, it is accurate data that's good because i mean on the on the on the news here not specifically related to what you were talking Mm -hmm. about but we always say a a poll said this and and 99.5% Five percent of the public said this, but no one has once ever asked me <laughs> like about my opinion of these issues and that that are going on. So I just wondered if <laughs> like where where these these opinion polls were coming from. But um, I don't know if Dan feels so, the same. But you always you always hear it. Um, yeah. So the way it's generally constructed um, to ensure that it's an accurate reflection um, is they will seek out to question you know obviously they can't call everybody in the united in the united states they can't call of everybody course, that's a lot of England. people they can't call everybody in the uk <laughs> because then like you know by the time you got all the data you know it's wrong. too late and it's not yeah. useful anymore right so basically right. what you will do is you will choose you have to have a large enough sample size for it to be an accurate reflection um so in the united states for polling that's usually in the 1000 to 1500 range of people okay. um and then what you will do from there is make sure that you know within that number you have the correct percentage of people from certain age brackets to accurately reflect those demographics across the United States and you know same for race same for income same for education level things like that Um, so that's, that's how those polls are generally constructed. Um, a lot of the places where you actually start to see like really inaccurate information come out, isn't necessarily from like the demographic backgrounds. It's from how the polls are constructed. And that's when you get into things, um, like the concept of push polling where push polling is not an attempt to, you know, gather information. It's an attempt to disseminate information under the guise of getting public opinion. So that's when you'll get, you know, a pay, a poll like paid for by a campaign, um, so very, very specific example. Um, I used to work for the congressman from Tennessee District 9, Steve Cohen. And um, Cohen, Jewish name, right? Steve is a Jewish man. And uh, an opponent paid for a poll in which the question was asked, did you know that, that Congressman Steve Cohen does not believe in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior? 
So no. do you think that that question <laughs> is out there to make sure that people that know Steve is Jewish or to make sure that people think that Steve is anti-Christian? Right, yeah. yeah. Which is, that's, yeah. that's the difference there. So that's really a lot more where you get like the- Well, that's mad, isn't it? That happens in polling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's oh so my God, we are the most tangential people. <laughs> introduced by me as well sorry (laughs) i i just find it so fascinating i I could listen to you for ages um i have a few points to raise on what you've mentioned oh because we've Um, said that more (laughs) yeah um can i do this is that cool can i mention points yeah do it yeah so um obviously you were talking about the ussr and uh the us and the space race and all of that and how it was a symbolic thing Sorry, I've got a pencil in my hand because I'm literally writing notes as we go along. Um, so, I mean, I, I know and people... I just threw my pen in the floor. <laughs> did you? On purpose? Was that to shut me up? <laughs> no, I'm just a um, clumsy broad. Welcome to fine. my bedroom, by the way, everybody. Hello, bedroom. Welcome to mine. You can't see much of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the the USSR and the US, obviously, it was quite a symbolic thing. And uh, communism was mm-hmm. bad and um, capitalism was good. Now, I know people that have lived on the USSR side of, um, like, Berlin and Estonia. Um, and it's really interesting to see... I mean, I'm just making a point here. It's just really interesting to see their views of 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 how they perspe- perceive the USSR, and then some of them have gone to live in America, and it's really interesting how they're like it's like chalk and cheese. Um, mm-hmm. So they've they've seen it from both sides, really, which is quite interesting because obviously you you and I probably well we haven't. <laughs> so um, I mean, I don't particularly know what my point was. I'm just saying that I've spoken to uh, a lot of people that have have been on both sides, and um, Mm-hmm. They've said there's good and bad points about all of it. Does that make sense? No, I, I think that is actually a really good point. Um, in that, you know, there, there is, no, there's never going to be a perfect system because ultimately the work is never done. Um, and so, like, you know, no one should settle for what they currently have because it can always be improved upon. Um, but in particular, with you know, within the United States where the majority of Americans have no experience um, either visiting, uh, because this is an interesting thing, um, as you all, as t- you know, up until like recently, we're European, um, you know, you all have we like way easier geographic yeah. access. I agree. I think so. <laughs> I've got a European flag. Ah. I'm all over Oh, it. man. Oh, man. Any who's but you know, it's it's an interesting thing where it's like all of my European friends tend to be a lot more well traveled in the context of international travel because it's way easier to get places inexpensively, it? yeah. it's shorter mm. distance. And the United States is physically so vast. You know, when your country is three thousand miles across, you know, and it's expensive to get from point A to point B inside of the United States. That like you can be very very well traveled having never actually left the country. And I think that fosters, um, whether or not it's intentional, a lot of isolationism in American culture. So you don't get people that have been to Russia, who have been to Vietnam, uh, who have been to China, um, 
certainly not to Cuba, considering, you know, the, the embargoes currently. And then all we really see is um, the involvement that the United States has had in foreign policy in things, you know, like attempting to stage coups in South American countries because we don't like how socialist they're becoming, um, you know, economic sanctions placed on Cuba, economic sanctions placed on the USSR, you know, and so there has been, you know, a lot of the failures of communism, which are very, very, very real, like the practical failures, are not necessarily because of communism itself, because we have never seen communism exist without the heavy influence of global capitalist forces. Um, and like whether or not you support capitalism as an ideology or communism as an ideology, or you consider yourself whatever degree of socialist, you know, like that is a cold hard fact is that there has never been a communist government that has been able to exist completely autonomously because it's always functioned in a global society. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that type of criticism has to be taken at least with a critical grain of salt. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, this is so interesting. Because, <laughs> like, yeah, we... Um... Full disclosure, like, if people haven't figured it out that aren't familiar with me, like, I am Marxist AF. <laughs> so, like, yeah. I mean, so it's... And I don't want to sit there and, like, pretend that I'm not as people are going, like, what is this woman talking about? Like, I am absolutely a Marxist-Leninist. So, you know, like... Uh, yeah, I mean, I have discredit what I'm saying because I studied it really hard. I swear. No, absolutely. I mean, you're doing amazing. I um, I could sit here and listen for days. Um, I've just got one more point to make. Really, um, you were talking yeah. about um, like the civil rights movement and 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 especially now we've got the Black Lives Matter stuff going on. Um, we were always taught at school that. Like slavery and and black issues were was an American thing. We were very much taught it was nothing to do with us, which is completely wrong, and we're finding that out now. Um, but yeah, we, I mean, it wasn't on my syllabus at all. It was just like, mm-hmm. yeah, the the Americans had a problem, and here was Martin Luther King, and it's their problem, not ours. Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just really interesting, actually, now that this is all happening finding not finding out because i mean because i i mean i knew but a lot of a lot of people not knowing that there were statues to these slave trade owners Mm -hmm. and we were part of that triangle um Mm -hmm. it's just really interesting again how we are taught that misconception at school that it was an Mm -hmm. american issue and it wasn't a british issue when was british abolition it was 1808 right yeah roughly Yeah, yeah um my dog is deciding that he wants to chime in. Seymour, <laughs> go exist somewhere else momentarily. He might be Very making cute. a point about British abolitionists. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, he he says slavery bad, and that's about. And then he is now licking himself. So it's. Fine. I mean, that's one of the podcasts, <laughs> isn't it? I think it's a of applause. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, one of the great misfortunes to that is um, slavery in the American colonies didn't start in 1776. And yeah, and so it's like even contextualizing slavery as a purely American thing is, Mm. you know, done in bad faith. Absolutely. Considering um, 
you know, just, you know, considering the things, you know, like the fact that, you know, America is not nearly as old as, you know, the colonization of America. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like people weren't landing at Jamestown and being like, when we grow these crops, we're going to pick them ourselves. Like that is just <laughs> not a thing that happened. Um, you know, additionally, you know, you look at just like, you know, throughout all of the Americas, not just, you know, what is now the United States, uh, through the Caribbean, down into Brazil in particular, you know, there is a very, very deep history of, you know, Western European countries um, looting African coastlines, enslaving people, stealing black bodies and, you know, and exploiting them as chattel property until relatively recent memory because it's like even in the united states abolition not that long ago hmm. you know like america's not old enough for it to have been that long ago um i'm really grateful to see additionally now like in the current movement there has been i mean somebody beheaded the statue of christopher columbus in boston and i think yeah. that's freaking hilarious i love it i love because, it because while we have this fight in the street it's really really important to acknowledge that the streets that we're marching down every day are paved across occupied land that you know that we that you know we as white people stole um and you can't isolate that because this is a colony this is a colonized area you can't isolate that from the people who did that colonizing which was y'all folks true. Um, so i don't know true. why that gets overlooked so badly other than just wanting to like wash hands clean and pretend like you're not culpable I mean, the but, British are very good at that as a rule anyway. Um, when there was mm -hmm. the East India Trading Company, they went over and, and uh, civilised people and then they decided to split the country and they were like, hey guys, we're out now. You, Let's put that yeah. civilised in like Absolutely. hard air quotes. Absolutely, because they were doing fine on their own before and they didn't need our input, but we wanted stuff that they had. So I say we, I wasn't there, but we as a nation... Um, I think I it's fine to say we. Sorry? I think it's. I actually think it's important to say <laughs> we and own that legacy. You know, Absolutely. like yeah, I, th I, I think. Mean... I think it's. I think it's an honest thing to say we and like recognize that. You know, you have benefited from that legacy of supremacy because that's, that's just the truth. Absolutely. I mean, in 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 uh, going back to India, when they 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 split India up it became india and pakistan um and then they were like hey you guys we're gonna leave you to it we've done our bit bye fight amongst yourselves it happened uh in various places across the world and we're very good at that and i think we're very good at saying oh well that's not our problem even though we started it Does we are the sense? root cause of most of the problems everywhere. It's absolutely, it's, <laughs> oh, honestly like yeah it's only so a problem that we're not <laughs> if you trace well, it back this it. <laughs> well this is it i mean like even even um so the dutch obviously went over to uh new york didn't they 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 had new amsterdam over there and then so we colonized the colonizers <laughs> we were like no you're not having it we'll have it <laughs> absolutely ridiculous like we just can't keep our hands to ourselves um anyway tangent sorry i mean like georgia was a penal <laughs> colony you know like the carolinas and virginia were settled entirely or colonized entirely. fuck the word settling like let's let's unsettle some stuff um is it okay yeah. if i have some more of this 
well worth drinking. Yes, absolutely. I'm I'm still tearing my way through afternoon beers because it is still very early in America right now. I know. It's 8 o'clock in the um, evening here. It's 2 so in the afternoon fine. here. That's fine. Uh, but I'm 100% drinking beer. Um, but yeah, you know, like... It what you know, like you can get into you know, like this fallacy of Puritans seeking religious freedom and bippity boppity boo, but ultimately, like England didn't keep sending people over here through governmental capacities and declaring people governors of colonies to ensure that you know quakers could be quaking like that's not what it was it was for money and it was you know know, largely for agricultural money you know because of lumber and tobacco and cotton and sugar and you know what's the cheapest way to harvest all of that go steal people and make them do it for you do the work for you and so just i mean and that was happening long before anybody in boston threw tea in a harbor you know yeah, absolutely <laughs> that's absolutely. just the way it was it's, um yeah I, I it's just fascinating um i mean i don't know if you saw over there the the statue in bristol getting pulled um, down one yes two my knee-jerk reaction was throwing shit in the water that's our move (laughs) 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 it's um i i personally found it very um not emotional is not the right word but i found it very symbolic of do you know what we're done with this or we're looking to be done with this and we want to move forward um I mean, I loved it. I've, I've, yeah, there's a lot of people that don't love it, and they're very happy to keep a statue there for some reason. Oh, Emma appeared. Did you see that? What's that? What happened? Emma just, Emma, Emma just crept by in the background. Did I got she? very excited <laughs> about the appearance of Emma. I didn't um, even see Emma, you. Hi, Emma. Um, but yeah, no. So that's really the beauty of symbolic violence, though, which is exactly what you know beheading christopher columbus or throwing old bristol slave trade and what's his face i'm never gonna learn that man's name like full disclosure yeah into throwing him into the river throwing a brick through a storefront window um spray painting black lives matter on the side of a building um who is ultimately hurt here no one all this shit is insured you know no one's entire livelihood is being lost um in the united states to own a small business there is straight up riot insurance include um i love that i'm not even kidding so it's like yeah so it's like they play like we're like small businesses are well protected against this stuff and that's why you see a lot of small business owners being like "Eh, it's it's totally fine um you know we support black lives matter (laughs) and we're like thank you sir um but the, I think the great beauty of symbolic violence is because, first, it's an absolute, it's, it is unreasonable to tone police the behavior of people who currently and contemporarily are being subjugated, who are carrying the weight of centuries of, of generational trauma of, of, from oppression, um, from everything from slavery to genocide against their peoples like do you not get to tell them 
what to be bad about and how to express their anger, their sorrow, their grief, their frustration against the systems that are doing this to them. That is incorrect. No one has the right to do that. You know, like no one has the right to tell anybody how to feel. And that being said, you know, like I don't have the right to tell some dumbass white person who is like boohoo my statue and my feelings. I don't have the right to tell them that they're wrong. I'm going to make fun of them in public. Absolutely. <laughs> but their feelings you know, are, are their feelings and I can't change them for them. Um, but the beauty of symbolic violence is the juxtaposition against where the line gets drawn because throwing that statue into the river is not the same as shooting Joe Cox. Absolutely. absolutely. And I think, Mm -hmm. and I think it's very important to make that distinction that people are showing the restraint of saying, I am going to destroy these symbols of my oppression but I will not harm another person regardless of how much of a monster they are. And that's the difference between being on the right and the wrong side of this. Absolutely. Is, yeah, we're, we're not the ones murdering folks. You know? Is that Emma again? Did we see it's, Emma? <laughs> hi, Emma. <laughs> hi, Emma. Everybody send hi to you. She says hi back. but yeah so it's like that's that's the difference so i think symbolic violence has a very 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 important part in all of that and that's what destruction of property stature removal vandalism looting that is what it is is it is violence but it is symbolic you can't be violent against something that is not living and breathing because yeah just and i think it's a really beautiful thing to be able to like make that distinction um, I want to circle back, though. Massively um, valid point. That's all I was going to say. Sorry. Hi, <laughs> Rachel. Um, <laughs> so, like, I want, like, circling this back into relating it into the civil rights movement, um, there is this juxtaposition. There, there's not juxtaposition, actually. That's the opposite word I want to use. There's a direct parallel in, um, in the midst of these uprisings happening across the United States where we are looking at you know, actively defunding police forces and using that money and reallocating it into, you know, appropriate spheres that actually do deter crime and keep communities safe, like education, housing initiatives, you know, uh, transit and, you know, dismantling food deserts and, you know, making resources readily available to people, healthcare, you know, like this is America. I still have to buy my own health care, whether or not it's through my employer or out of my own pocket. I can't go to the doctor unless I am throwing a substantial amount of money at somebody. Yeah. So like we got a lot of social issues over here and we are grossly overfunding police. And Donald Trump wants to celebrate Elon Musk building a rocket and shooting it into space for what? What is the purpose? (laughs) Distraction? You know, what? Yeah, you know, and, and NASA is heavily involved in it. And it and, and fortunately it didn't work as a distraction. We're basically like they everyone everyone laughed when the weather you know postponed the launch. We all thought it was hilarious. And then they finally make this launch in the middle of you know the largest civil rights uprising, you know, on US soil ever. And everyone was just like, You really don't give a shit about rich people sending rockets to the moon. Um and that directly parallels the Apollo 11 mission because one of the things that people, what we don't get caught 
is that when we sent man to the moon, when we successfully sent man to the moon in July of 1969, uh, Robert Abernathy, who is part of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, who, you know, worked directly with Dr. King, who actually took over leadership of the People's Campaign after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, um, he led a march of 500 people on Cape Canaveral uh, in, to protest the moon landing, essentially, because it was such a misallocation of funds when people are starving in the street, you know, and they're car- they were carrying signs talking about, you know, the amount of money it takes to feed an astronaut in space against like the amount of money it takes to feed a child in school. Yeah, and how much cheaper it is to feed yeah. children, but you're willing to spend this money to send a bunch of, you know, like white boys to the moon, basically. It just seems um, like priorities are wrong there, doesn't it? Right? Yeah, but nobody shows you the pictures of 500 civil rights activists showing up with no. wheels and carts to demonstrate the juxtaposition of, you know, like the abject poverty that black people in america are still experiencing to this day compared to the amount of money that we were willing to spend to honor the legacy of jfk and making sure we beat the commies to the moon yeah and like you you don't see those pictures and they're out there and they're real and you can find them you know on places like wikipedia and history.com and like all this information is available if you just google it and then fact check and double check that it's a credible source but like this information (laughs) is out there but we're not teaching it to kids because it negates the narrative of you know american exceptionalism we don't want kids to know that in order to get to the moon we allowed children to starve and that's the reality of the situation yeah I mean, it's fascinating. And then we got to the moon and everyone said, yay. And then we were all like, oh, wait, we're not actually doing anything there. And then Richard Nixon, of all people, was like, this is stupid. And we're not going to build the planned base on the moon to be a space base for further Mars exploration. That was a real thing that was in the plans. And he was just like, this is dumb. We're not paying for that. Uh, So one of the few things he did right. But, you know. Nixon was a good man, but you know, (laughs) canceling Moonbase was a great idea. Now it's it's the advantage of the like. Sorry, is that the advantage of like the austerity of the Republican leadership there? Just saying, well, actually, we don't like spending money on anything, so we're not going to spend money on that either. (laughs) No, I think that was honestly done entirely because of public opinion, because it was. Okay. Yeah, you know, there was never real support. We got to the moon. Everyone was like, "Cool, we got to the moon. Now what?" And um, continuing to want to spend money on things like that when you're in the middle of things like, you know, gas rations <laughs> in the 1970s. You know, things that affect white people. You know, like I don't think it was necessarily austerity. It was that like you know white people weren't having access to stuff, and uh, so that made more sense to not spend money on it. Fair. Um, so, in, so interesting. So, yeah, I, I mean, that's just something that I knew little snippets of that because, like I said, my, my history teacher was really good and he was a, a big socialist, an outspoken socialist, and filled in a lot of the gaps for us and was very keen to make a point that it wasn't, even though our syllabus was saying that actually this slave trade was centred around America and the civil rights movement was centred around America, actually there's a lot of this at home. And I think, you know, going to a comprehensive in London, that was important for like my 
class to here, I think. So that, that like I've, I owe him a lot in terms of my understanding, but it was just scraping the surface because he's, you know, his job is to teach us what he's, what we have to cover to pass the exams in a way, which is sad, but fascinating to hear. Are we on so to you, Ollie, Ollie? you also went down a tangent this week of <laughs> digging into things that we should know and don't. Yeah, I did. Well, well, bear with me here. So I started, I mean, what do you know? Do you know about Guy Fawkes and the gunpowder uh, gun plot? Do you know about that? Is that I, know to, I know to remember, remember the 5th of November. This is it. This is it. It's a very strange... And that's about where it stops for most Americans, unless they're like huge V for Vendetta fans. Like everyone kind of knows it, but like everyone knows that he tried to blow up Parliament and failed. And yes. that now there's Bonfire Night, and that's about as extensive as American understanding is. Yeah, it's a very weird um, concept that we have now on November the 5th. Um, we burn an effigy of Guy Fawkes, which is horrifying, isn't it, actually, really? If you think about it, all the kids are going around the bonfire, and we, we put a man up in the middle when we burn him. Um, the reason that that stemmed... Uh, from was the whole catholic protestant thing that was going on in the uk or england mainly back in the day and it was we're taught that um guy fawkes and his merry band of men were gonna go and they were gonna blow up parliament and they were gonna blow up uh, where the king sat in parliament um and it was all to do with the catholics and the protestants and a way of showing that Catholics were bad and Protestants were good. Now, Guy Fawkes was caught, allegedly, red-handed, down this uh, in this cellar um, with his, uh, his band of merry men were kind of uh, up the other end. And he was put on trial, basically, as a martyr. Like, he... It, it, we, we don't know for sure that he actually had anything to do with the plot itself. Oh, so but Ollie, he signed a confession. He signed a confession after he was tortured <laughs> for a long, long, long period of time. <laughs> um, if you Google his signature and then you Google his signature after he was tortured, um, he wasn't necessarily um, going to not sign that confession because he was basically told... If you don't, then we are going to hurt you. Um, are you two yeah. men, are you two fine gentlemen telling me that confessions acquired under torture are not necessarily reliable confessions? Absolutely. No, they're 100% reliable. That's the only way <laughs> to get a confession, Get me Guantanamo on the phone, right? <laughs> We've got news for them. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, the, um... Uh, the Catholic Protestant thing had been going on for a, a, a very, a relatively short period of time. Um, obviously, prior to Henry VIII and him uh, sort of breaking from Rome, um, we were we were Catholic, then we were Protestant, then his daughter was um, Catholic, and then we were Protestant again, and then all of a sudden there were no Protestants left, um, but they didn't want Catholics. So then James the Sixth of Scotland was brought down who then became James I of England. And then it was this whole, it was basically to try and put a line under 
switching back and forth, back and forth. And it was like, do you know what? Actually, Catholics are bad because this is what they do. They're going to they're going to blow up your monarch and they're going to blow up your parliament and they're not civilised. Um, and I mean, yeah, that's that that was sort of the rabbit hole that I sort of came across when I was doing this research. But we're, we're, we're told it's gospel. This is what happened. Guy Fawkes turned up. He did this. He was a Catholic. He was bad. I mean, I don't know about you, Dan, but especially where I was brought up, it is even now to this day it's well you if you are religious there's not many religious people around this area anymore but if you are religious you are you are protestant you are not catholic and that has stemmed all the way back from there um and i actually found out when i was um researching this that one of guy fawkes's um uh, one of his sort of band of merry men, his um, descendant actually lives around the corner from me in the village that I live in, which is mad. Please tell me you knocked on his door. Well, I haven't yet. Apparently he's a really hunky fireman, but I'm going to... Um, he is... I'll uh, go knock on his door yeah. then. I think Ollie will be chasing I volunteer you, as <laughs> tribute. So he's, he's a descendant of Everard Digby. Now, if you Google Everard, is a very strange what name. What a name. What a name. Everard, Everard Digby. Digby. But yeah. He's, Everard he's, Digby. Blowing up partners. <laughs> that it. is a name that could Beatles. become very, very sexualized if you were drunk. Everard. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Got you. Ollie yeah, and I are getting I dangerously often, close often, to being drunk. So yeah. <laughs> I often mix yeah. up syllables in names, so it wouldn't be a lot in that surname <laughs> to make it something completely different. So, is that um, what happens when you all are reading Patreon names is you just mix up syllables? Yeah, pretty much. I, I have a phobia of reading on air. I just can't do it. Like there were so many takes for that Robert Johnson that episode. You will not understand. I actually recorded the whole thing once and we scrapped it. So Oh, buddy. You did so well, though. It was absolutely, you know, growing up, like, in the shadow of where all of that happened, you did that story absolute perfect justice. Like, you, That's you all I wanted yeah, to no, do. Yeah, no, I really, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. But yeah, that might have something to do with that, to be fair. The names. And okay, the Everard Digby, though. <laughs> yes, Everard, Everhard, no, Everard, sorry keep it clean Everard Digby um was one of the um uh one of the gunpowder plotters and um yeah I just found it fascinating that I actually are you okay <laughs> just, you know, we all said Everhard in our de- in our heads we made reference and then I just said it out loud it's Everhard Big D now that's it. all I can think of <laughs> <laughs> do you know what we, we've all been there Okay, back to Everhard Big D. (laughs) So I just found it like fascinating because I was actually talking to a work colleague of mine who about about what we were going to do here, and she was just like, "Yeah, I I know um, the descendant from this guy," and I was just like, "No, you don't." And then she got out all this research, and then she was like, "Yeah, here he is. Here's his photo. He lives here. He's like round the corner from you. I'm definitely um, going to try and get him on a podcast at some why point." Why did this lady have so much research about a random guy in your village? Because <laughs> she went to school with him. That's why. <laughs> like, that makes it worse because that sounds really stalkery. But okay, it's fine. She won't mind. She um, 
I think because they've been friends for a long time, this research came from Facebook. So, um, yeah, he she showed me a picture of uh, the descendant getting a, um, he got like a plaque thing from um, uh, from the Houses of Parliament, which is ironic because his descendant tried to blow it up. But anyway, apparently so they celebrate Parliament... that kind of stuff now. So Parliament gives him a plaque to put on his house saying, you're related to a guy who tried to firebomb murder all of us. Welcome to Britain. But also, it is also <laughs> like, let's have a national holiday where we light shit on fire to be like, ha, 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 you couldn't firebomb murder us. Fuck Catholicism. Yeah. I'm very well, confused. Well, yeah. Well, welcome to Britain. It is a very confusing place. <laughs> like, it's... um. I used to find it terrifying, honestly, when they had the effigy of, the, of Guy Fawkes. Um, a lot of people now use Guy Fawkes as a as a symbol for, I don't know if you've seen the film, uh, Viva Vendetta. They use it as a symbol as anti-parliament. Um, mm-hmm. So he he's kind of associated with that now. He's kind of almost held up as a hero figure now, like the person okay. that was going to overthrow the government. Um, the king cool. kind of gets left out of it a little bit, but um, yeah, it was all to do with uh, Catholics and Protestants. But we're not taught that at school. We're taught this man is bad. He so had... help me contextualize the actual holiday then, mm. because my understanding is that like on Bonfire Night, you on Guy Fox Day, you burn effigies of yeah. the attempted assassin. What if that is if he is now a symbol of you know anti-establishment sentence like sentiment? I don't understand necessarily the burning of effigy, other than to say like no, we support the hell out of like Parliament and the monarchy. What kind of message is that sending to Catholic citizens across the UK? There are a lot of people here that are still very um, pro-monarchy. They are pro-parliament as well. Um, I, I am unfortunately born witness to an Orange Order march, and it was bone-chilling. Uh, yes, it no, was. thank you. Very strange. I mean, we don't get them down in England. They tend to be in Ireland or in Scotland. Um, yeah, I saw it in Glasgow. And yeah, in, yeah, you know, hard no, no, thank you, sirs. It's it's very strange. The whole concept is very strange. I think because we've had such a a vast history of of of. Uh, so the monarch, the monarchy is good, and then the monarchy is bad. Then Parliament is good. Then Parliament is bad. You've got so many different um, people that kind of fit into like pockets of these. So they they kind of take their um, uh, their information from their forebearers. So if their forebearers ten times up were supportive of the monarch, then they'll be very hardcore monarchists. If people didn't then you'll get hardcore leftists or parliamentarists um that's not a word is it parliament sounds good parliamentarians maybe i don't know that's right we'll go with that one um so yeah i think the 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 reason that people still burn the effigy and stuff i mean a it's um that that british word tradition um so people don't necessarily know what they're they're doing and they don't know what it symbolizes but um, if you go into the cities and stuff, I think people are a bit more clued up 
that was a sweeping statement, wasn't it? <laughs> like, if you go into the, uh, uh, yeah, if you go into the cities, then people are a bit more um, political, I would like to say, whereas they don't stay stagnant as where they do where, where, where I live. I mean, Dan, you live in a city, don't you? Yeah, I, I think actually I, I don't like fireworks. I'm just putting it out there. I think they're a massive waste of money and they scare me a little bit. Um, <laughs> Everything scares you though. So like, that's not fair. Like you were, <laughs> you were delightful, but you were also constantly afraid. Yeah. I, like <laughs> I think it's say, all an act. It's all an act, Dan. I like to say it's my survival instinct kicking in, um, but reckon... probably not. Um, but I, I, the last sort of fireworks night extravaganzas that i've been to they've not actually burnt anything and i think we're now at a stage where it's tradition over sense uh, and we just do it because it's a knees up it's a reason to go out in a cold evening stay warm drink alcoholic beverages if you're old enough sometimes if you're not old enough and uh just wave Wait, some flowers yeah. not flowers at all that's not what i meant sparklers, wave sparklers. Some sparklers. i haven't oh, even been drinking yeah so i feel like there's just a sort of detachment from where it's from and the way Me it's too. tall over here is like Holly said it's just a very sort of basic there were these people they tried to blow up the parliament they got stopped let's celebrate and actually the the sort of education I got on it was painted Guy Fawkes as a bit of a buffoon as well which I don't think he was I think he was just a patsy so it's you know that's kind of where it is yeah and he was one of the youngest members of the um the 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 plotters as well so he was almost used as a bit of a scapegoat um for this whole um well the plot it's um yeah i mean history is a is it's always written by the winners isn't it it's written by the people who are, are the victors of of such things so for example in britain as that well look like this this is it so uh people in britain uh, are very uh so we had the Hundred Years' War between France um, and we are, yes, we won every single battle, every single war. Not true. <laughs> Absolutely not true. Um, we lost as many as we won, uh, but we don't celebrate them. We're not taught about them. We're taught about Waterloo and uh, that victory, but we're not taught about the battle that we had two weeks before, four weeks before, that we absolutely got our asses kicked. We just don't hear about it. So it's all in the perspective of who writes it and where you are um, where you are being taught it. So you over in the US will get taught something completely different to me. I will get some completely differently taught to Dan, who's with, in a different part of the country. With the grand exception of World War II, where we won, where you defeated the Nazis and we defeated the Nazis well, and then this we is completely ignore the fact that the Russians were the ones who actually defeated the Nazis. Yeah, isn't that funny? The though, Cold War immediately followed, and God forbid we give those goddamn commie red bastards credit, because you know what the greatest enemy of a fascist is? It's a communist. Look absolutely. I mean, it's so it's so it's so <laughs> interesting. Insane. I've been to some of the concentration camps, um, and all of the pictures there are of well, most of them, are of Russian soldiers liberating them. Now, we don't get told that. That's we get told that who liberated, yeah. Yeah, we get told that that's, it was... That's what it happened. Was the, well, we mainly get told it was the British. We get, we get very 
very loosely told that the Americans had something to do with it, um, mm-hmm. which is a complete. I mean, the Brit. We were, as a Briton, we as a British person. Sorry, we were. We were on our last legs, to be honest, in that war. It could days have away, gone days away from losing, like actual, literal days. It could have gone either way very easily. Now it happened. I mean, it's a combination of, of of luck and then other people getting involved. And yes, America and yes, Russia. But we're not told about that. We're told that we are British and 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 they didn't come to our island and they were very close to it. And but we fought them off. Not true. <laughs> Absolutely not true. <laughs> what's easy to uh, sort of skirt over and is, is sort of touched upon in teaching World War Two, but not touched upon properly is the fact that if we hadn't have had a pact with Poland, we probably would have just let the Nazis walk through Europe anyway. Like we, it was only because we had this sort of stiff upper lip, like we have a pact with them. We have to act because we've got a pact. Yeah. I, the politi- the, the force of the politicians was actually, he was doing us a favor. It's, it's very lurid, like, nasty yeah. stuff actually if you get into the bones of it but i know i'm sounding a bit like a spoiled brat but i again i'm just putting it out there to mr torn r.i.p he taught us so well because he made it really clear that actually you know there's so many sliding doors moments where there's all the way through the war if certain things hadn't happened we would have capitulated so Absolutely. we were like you know the battle of britain we, we, we were like eight we had eight planes at one point and that was it and then it, just for some reason, the tide turned and then you guys came in and helped us. Then they opened up the Eastern Front and then there was a load of our colony, like all of the soldiers from our colonies helping us out. Basically, what we get taught in the US is y'all had shit under control and you were going to take down those goddamn Nazis. Um, <laughs> and then we got involved because of Pearl Harbor. Um, so that, so then we were forced to be involved because you know, Japan bombed us and then we had to come help you guys because you lost everything in the blitz and france just couldn't be asked to like do anything at all because everyone in france is a coward um <laughs> and, and and then somehow you, you know, america and britain united and held hands and like special special relationship the nazis I feel back, it's like back into Germany until Hitler shot himself the end. <laughs> and there is like no discussion of the fact that of like Russian involvement. No one talks about Italy you know, in our understanding. No, no, you're right. In America. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, it's fucking ridiculous. And we don't get taught World War One like at all at this point. So we I do. Mean, it's absolutely manners, like how glossed over our shit is. So it's just like nobody in America understands where the concept of nationalism comes from. You know, <laughs> like it's it, it's it's. We ha- we it's kind of fun. I spend a lot of my my time going. Mm-hmm, well, actually, and trying to not be <laughs> condescending. <about it. laughs> I love it. We have to get taught that World War One because it leads into another of our traditions, which is Armistice Day, which where. There's yes. this thing called a poppy, which has been completely hijacked by the only the thing I know about Armistice Day is the Midnight Oil song, and that's it. <laughs> that's, that's all you, that's all you need to know. Ends. And uh, yeah, and I mean, we know about it. We get to talk about it, but I guess you guys weren't involved until 1917, so it's not really your doesn't doesn't involve you. I guess that's maybe that's why it's not taught. I don't know. 
I've got some questions for you guys when you've when you've kind of finished. No, question away. But it's they're they're slightly abstract, so I actually want to talk about education a little bit. Is that let's cool? Yeah, that's it. Hell yeah. So I want to start with you, Kate, because I feel like I'd... also do we, like maybe we should phone your wife in on this. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna talk about education, bring in the expert. <laughs> so I obviously me and Ollie were brought up in a similar system, like slightly different towns, but slightly different times being slightly older but um i know the british education system which we will get to in a second but my understanding of the american education system is a bit convoluted and i'm guessing i may be really wrong but do the states decide what's on the curriculum for history or is there a national guideline it's state by state it's very much state by state um so um I learned to be a teacher in the state of Illinois and I'm, I'm, I'm from the South. I'm from Louisiana. Originally I grew up in Tennessee. I currently live in Tennessee. Tennessee is my home. Um, but I went to graduate school in Illinois and lived in Chicago and taught on the South side of Chicago and the state of education in Illinois and the state of education in Tennessee are nightmarely different for, um, a number of reasons. And all of that really is dependent on state legislature for everything from approved curricula to the strength of teachers unions. Um, in the South, the South is very, very, very anti-labor. It's very anti-union. In the state of Tennessee, teachers do not have collective bargaining rights. Um, so they are really not able to advocate for, for anything from classroom funding um, to actually being able to teach the correct things in the correct way. Um, in the state of Illinois, you know, Chicago Teachers Union is one of the strongest teachers unions in the entire country and thereby one of the strongest unions in the entire country. Um, totally different ballgame. Um, they're still grossly underfunded. Um, they're still in constant fight to be able to like well serve their students, but they are far more autonomous in being able to determine um, what is appropriate in their classroom. Vast differences being um, I am a huge proponent of restorative justice um, as a method of um, peaceful classroom conduct uh, because teenagers are going through enough shit internally, you know, and externally that we don't need to, you know, make discipline the hard emphasis inside of a classroom. And one of the exercises that I would personally take uh, to instill a restorative justice policy in our classroom was to, on day one, we're going to make a social contract like for this space. And, you know, the onus is on the students to really determine the terms of that contract. And part of that is the extension of you get to choose, you know, having some blank spaces uh, throughout the year where I have not planned lessons yet and you all determine what you want to. So here is a survey. What do you guys want to learn? And when you give kids the opportunity to do that, you know, you have 17-year-olds coming to you and saying, Miss Malden, can we learn about the Stonewall riots? And you're going, uh, yes, we can, absolutely. <laughs> Whereas in the state of Tennessee, we had to battle what was called the quote-unquote don't say gay bill, where the Tennessee state legislature tried to ban the use of the word gay in the classroom so that in public schools, you would not be able to accurately teach the existence of homosexuality. So that they're, and so it's, you know, in a literature course, how the fuck are you going to teach Oscar Wilde? <laughs> in a U.S. history course, how are you going to talk about the 1970s? You know, like, you can't, so it was basically, you know, a subtle way of trying to discourage the acknowledgement 
of you know an entire oppressed tenth of our population you know um so that's what you're looking at fighting state by state and i'm also really glad you asked that question because um a friend of mine the other day had been talking about being kind of appalled that there isn't a broad understanding across the United States about the origins of police forces because she had learned that. And, you know, in the South, you absolutely don't get taught that, you know, police forces stemmed from, uh, from, uh, why I'm, I'm drunk. That's why I'm losing my <laughs> Stem from slave catchers uh, because we don't, because in the in Southern curricula, you tend to gloss over the actual horrors of slavery and so one of the ways that you really see that manifest itself is the two largest markets for textbook in the United States are California and Texas. California are going to have a far more progressive curriculum. Texas is going to be way more conservative. So these textbooks are getting printed and you can see like there's articles where you can look at side by sides. Like there's a particular New York Times article from January um, where you can see side by sides or identical textbooks going through the United States Constitution, going through the Bill of Rights. And the little like side bubbles, little annotation bubbles are completely different in what they're talking about in California and in Texas. So you can imagine what that's going to look like in regards to the Second Amendment, which for our non-American listeners is the right to bear arms, which is very, very open interpretation about what that actually means. And the 13th Amendment, which is the abolition of slavery, Um, because in Texas, they tried to ban the mention of slavery in textbooks. (laughs) And they refer to enslaved peoples as people who came to America for work. As opposed to, like, I mean, like, that's how bad it is. So when you look at the fact that, you know, the second largest market for textbooks in the United States is that conservative and, you know, is like gun, gun, good slave never happened. Do you think that textbook companies find it economic to print different textbooks for all 50 states? Oh. No, they do not. So Texas their curriculum dictates a lot of what the available texts are to the rest of the country. So even if you're in a state where you can talk about these things, the reading that you're, that you have available to assigned, like to assign to your students is so heavily biased, particularly towards like false conservative narratives of American exceptionalism. And we've never done anything wrong to anybody who didn't have it coming to them. And it's, yeah, it's, it's real bad. (laughs) It's not good. So, you know, defund the police and give us that money so we can teach our kids right. So, is, do you think that, uh, that, I mean, it answers itself in a way, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Do you think that that leads to the lack of knowledge in the fact that every state has got a different guidelines as to what they teach and how they teach it? Absolutely. And I think it's done in, with meticulous intent. Okay. I think it is, ab- I think that it is very intentional to instill at children in a very young age a false narrative of American history and what it means to be American um, so that when the opportunity arises to question that and to seek out more accurate or even just broader, more varied information, more detailed information, it's not done from a place of discovery. It's from a place of dismantling preconceived notions. I think that's very apparent in things like colonial history, where we, you know, what are the first thing that children learn about the dawn of America? They learn it by making construction paper, feather headdresses, and pilgrim caps in Kumbaya and across the stage when they're four years old so that their parents can take pictures and say, how adorable is this? 
And that is, in, that's propaganda. That's propagandizing and ingraining in children who don't have the cognitive reasoning to disseminate fallacy that, that, you know, white people came to America and held hands with indigenous people and trowel lot and broke bread. And, you know, now we have this great country that we have today. And that's really easy to instill in children when they look to their left and they look to the right in the classroom and there are no indigenous people to counteract that narrative because we killed them all. So I mm. think, yeah, so I think it's done very much on purpose to be able to drive the narrative forward that America is a perfect place. And if we are a perfect place, then we don't need to challenge any of the structures that we have in place. That's fair. Now, Ollie, obviously I know the answer to this question, but I'm yes. guessing that quite a few people are going to watch this that follow Kate and may not know. How does it work in the UK? Uh, so until, as, as far as I'm aware, it's been a while since I've been at school. So until quite recently, the, um, there used to be a, a UK-wide curriculum um, where the central government would say, right, this is what we're going to learn and everyone would learn it. However, recently, and I'm talking in the last 10, 15 years, the government have sold off a lot of the schools. So the schools are now called academies, um, which is a fancy name for saying they've been privatised. So you can basically teach within theory what you want. So a school can be more... Um, uh, sports-based or it can be more um, uh, science-based or it can be more English-based. Um, but when I was at school, there was sort of a generic system and it was, I mean, it went through the ages of Britain, basically. So it was like the the, um, the Vikings, the Normans, um, all the great invaders that came here and it was like the Romans and stuff. And then it, kind of went on to um Tudors Georgian sorry Tudors Stuarts Georgians Victorians but we were never told the bad stuff so we were never told about the empire as a as a bad thing we were told the empire the empire was good we went we went and we liberated all these people and it was amazing and and um you I was brought up in a very conservative area. So I'm taught by a lot of conservative people. So their, their views came out in their teaching. So for a long time, I believed that everything they said was gospel, but we know when we get older that it's, it's not. I mean, Dan, you sound like you had a really amazing history teacher. Now I can't remember my history teachers being that, amazing i am a massive lefty in a very right wing area i am in the minority so i have to watch what i say <laughs> a lot of the time I'm, I'm constantly getting in trouble um big mood i live like outside of memphis now and like i, I like I, li I live in the woods and, like, <laughs> my neighbors like to like shoot off guns for fun out here and um there's a big difference between like online Kate and inside the city limits Kate and like out here going for a jog Kate. Yeah, like... absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I live um, pretty much next door to a conservative club. It's one street away from me. Now I have never stepped foot in there out of principle. And they, I mean, they, they put, there's some amazing bands that go in there and they, um, uh, 
they have some comedy and all that kind of stuff. But I literally point blank refused to go in there out of principle. And everyone just thinks I'm mental. But um, sorry, going back to schools. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the king of the tangent. Um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, history is, is, is such a... Uh, it's such a like um taught in a, a perspective isn't it so so i'm i'm very of the left so i would always teach things in the the left mode of the brain whereas a lot of people around here would teach me um that let's take let's take uh, uh ve day for example so it was ve day uh, not that long ago here so victory in europe day um and everyone's very patriotic and, and the war was good and we won the war and all this kind of stuff. But if you challenge that, if you say to people, well, actually there were, there were people on, on the other side that left their families and, and, and they had um, uh, relatives that died and that, etc. They didn't want to know because it was all about Britain and it was all about us and patriotism. And, and, and I don't subscribe to that. And I think a lot of schools, teach you about how good we are whereas although we have there have been a lot of good things and and there's a lot of stuff i like about britain and there's a lot of stuff i like about the history of britain and stuff um there's a lot i don't like as well and i think you need to get a bigger like a broad picture of of so we did this that was great and we did this and that wasn't so great but then we learned from that and we did this and do you know what i mean so it needs to it needs to be a bit of a more broad spectrum of. Yeah. Does that make sense? I mean, I don't know what it was like for you, Dan. You were you you went to school in London, didn't you? Yeah. Whereas I was on the in the home. Yeah, but this like magical so. socialist who is like, I'm going to teach you all. Yeah, I mean, facts. Uh, he unfortunately he he died fairly recently, quite young, um, which was oh. really super sad. Um, but that guy was inspirational. Like his story, he worked nights. He basically flunked school and worked nights to put himself through university and to get a teaching degree. And then he ended up winning like Haver and Teacher of the Year, um, which is oh, really cool. I love but he this had man. Quite, the end of his life was quite sad, unfortunately. Mm. Um, but I did a bit of research into like what it looks like at the moment. And it's, it's so loose in terms of we have this thing called a national history curriculum. But it's kind of like these are the four periods of time over our 1200 year history. You need to study something in here. It could be this. And that's kind of it across the first three years of, of, of secondary school. So it's so open to interpretation. And with this academy system now where the schools are essentially privatized, it serves very little purpose, particularly as that in that first sort of those first sort of three years where there is compulsory and they have to do history. You're looking at maybe two hours a week. So you've got this 1200 year stretch of history that you've got to cover in two hours a week mad isn't it yeah and it's, it's just it's a losing battle because mm. you know history is clearly ongoing we're in you know i i kind of have a distaste for the like the description of like 2020 between the pandemic and the uprisings as like oh we're living in this great historical moment all moments are great historical moments because that is the nature of history it is ongoing mm-hmm. you know like we're always living through it because something that is happening today is going to impact what happens tomorrow and is, has been influenced by what happened the day before. And that is the nature of the beast. So it's like with every passing day, it becomes more and more difficult to paint an accurate picture 
because like, how do you distill? I mean, like with what Ollie and I do, we're trying to take, you know, smaller stories and distill them down into, you know, digestible moments of 10 to 15 minutes. And like, I get, like, I'm to a point where it's like, I've, I've been really off schedule because I'm, you know, on the ground in a city in the United States, like trying to do like active you know, direct action work. So it's like the reason that there hasn't been any new cake and do history in the last couple of weeks is because we are living history in this moment. <laughs> and it's just, it's more important to me to be out supporting community organizations with my voice and my body than it is to be telling people about the Donner Party right now. No offense Absolutely. to the person who requested the Donner Party uh, because it's a fun story. Uh, I'll see a morbid fuck. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but like, so very frequently I get requests for things um, because everything, because at this point, like all of my subject matter is done by request with so many people have reached out and I'm just like, I can't, it's weird and I love it, but also like, oh my God, I don't know how to react to it. But thank you, but oh my God. Um, <laughs> but frequently people will ask for things and I'm like, can you just, can you be more specific? Because there's a couple of like episodes, like I did um, like the Jacobin uprisings and that had to be done in three parts because it's just too much to be able to like you can't take that down into 15 minutes and give an accurate picture or pay appropriate respect to the players involved uh because it's, you know when you're telling a historical story you're ultimately not telling your own story and you have to be very conscious of respecting you know the people that are that you know lived and died those moments um so it's like that had to be done in two parts um was Easter Rising the same way? I can't. I, th- I want to say Easter yeah, Rising. Was, I did in two parts as well. I think you did too. Um, you know, which is which is also a particularly difficult conversation to have because you know it's so recent that repercussions are still very, very, very drastically felt. Um, you know, all across the island of Ireland. You know, regardless of what side of the border you're on. Um, and so it's like you have, so it's like in doing that one in particular, you know, there has to be like a declaration of which side are you on while you're telling that story because, you know, it's not something that you can sit there and just be like, like you just can't, you can't, you can't do that. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's untruthful to sit there and, you know, and pretend like you're not, you're not speaking from a place of bias in something that is essentially ongoing. Um, so it's, it's just, it's so hard to distill things down. And so when you're looking at doing that uh, for children who are not necessarily interested, because you're also not necessarily telling them stories that are relevant to them, you know, like if you're sitting in a classroom full of black and brown kids in America, uh, because our schools are still very deeply segregated, uh, and you're sitting there going, look at these white men in wigs who formed this nation. They don't give a fuck. Like they, and, they sh- and they have no reason to give a fuck because that's not about them. All they're, see- they're hearing is the championing of people who wrote laws that said that they weren't people. And they have every right to be pissed off about that. And so it's just, it's so, it's, it's so hard to like paint an accurate picture and cover everything in a way that actually honors the players involved and the experience of the people to whom it's being taught. So on the back of that, as incredibly hard as that is, I'm going to ask you both a question. You've both been given responsibility from your respective countries to write or to compose or to put together a history curriculum for your countries. What's the approach that you take? 
Oh God. Kate, do you want to go first? Yeah, go, go. I'll absolutely go first. (laughs) Um, Step number one is sit back and shut the fuck up um, and reach out to indigenous peoples and people of color to, you know, queer people um, just people who've been subjugated by because we have we have all the white people stories those are written down we've got all the information on those I think step number one is reaching out to underserved and undertaught populations um, for what stories need to be pushed to the forefront and then get the fuck out of the way and let them you know not even I don't like the word let because then it's that's very paternalistic but apply and support the agency of those communities to tell their own stories that's amazing. I'm not sure I can follow that. Sorry, I was <laughs> muted. I was, I was, I was agreeing. There. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm, I'm not sure that I could um, follow that. I mean, for, for, for me, I mean, you spoke about uh, queer people and I, I am one of them. I am, I am a LGBTQ what? plus person. I know. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> By the way, I'm coming out. No. <laughs> um... <laughs> That was really bad, wasn't it? Um, so, uh, gay history in in the UK was was basically banned the whole time that I was at school. So, Margaret Thatcher implement, implemented a law um, that started in 1989 and didn't finish till 2003. So, I mean, basically, I left school in 2003. So, to teach homosexuality as a... Um, as a narrative was just it just wasn't there you just were not taught about it um uh, there's been there's been um news recently about lgbtq um being the history being taught in scotland and i think it's the first um the first place in the uk that are actually going to do that they're going to they're going to talk about queer history which is amazing um so i mean just like like you said i, I mean i'm talking about the the lgbt stuff because i relate to it um, but even uh, uh, black people, people of colour, people who don't necessarily have their stories written down. Uh, a lot of women as well don't have a voice in history it, or, or women have their stories told by men. So I did an episode on Emily Wilding Davidson and the number of people it. who reached out and were pissed off that they'd never heard of her before yeah. was just like... You know, and I'm like, cool, let's talk about Alice Paul because she worked with her and she was a freaking American. And they're like, who's Alice Paul? Because yeah. it's like in the US, you don't get anybody beyond Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And it gets ignored that like Ida B. Wells, you know, everyone learns Ida B. Wells. They don't learn that she was a suffragette. Yeah, absolutely. So, and you, like, you yeah, don't get taught that. So, so people who don't have necessarily that platform, I mean, we all know about the, obviously, the the big historical figures but but how many of them are men and how many of them are women do you know what i mean like you don't you don't hear about the women and when you do hear about the women it's through the men it's through the men and it's an exception to the rule absolutely yeah it's exceptional that they did these things which is and the documentation is out there to a degree i think it's getting better and i think we need to we need to the white male is not the only person in the world and we need to realize that <laughs> we need to realize that there's 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 more to it the right the, the the white straight male who has had the 
um, curriculum, I guess, under their belt for a long time. We need to open that up, like, to everyone. So, I mean, I guess that's how Seize I Seize the t- means of education. Power to the people. <laughs> like, um, I- sorry, Dan. Sorry, go no, on. I just wanted to leave you... I just wanted to give you a little glimmer of hope. So I was, I was looking at my old exam board that I used to used to teach um gcse for and Mm. their current uh on their current curriculum there is there are options to teach about stonewall um there's options to teach about the british civil rights movement however they are only options um they're not it's nice to see it it's so nice to see it because it wasn't there for the longest time there was nothing and it's it's only a small step but i was like yes i'm hoping some schools are picking this up i don't think they will because it will be hard work because there's not the resources available yet It'll be a while until creative I mean, people start sharing stuff. But I, I, I think but Dan, in the end, sorry, go on. Dan, if we teach Stonewall, people will know that riots work. Yeah, I know. Isn't that exciting? I mean, um, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I um, I don't know what I was going to say. I've lost my train of thought. Um, I'm sorry, I just like swallowed beer right into my mic, and I apologize. No, it's fine. I heard it quite clearly. It was a, it was a good gulp. It's a big gulp. <laughs> it was a big gulp. Um, what was I going to say? I've literally lost it. It was something to do with LGBT plus. I, I, I do feel like gone. the odd one out here because I haven't actually been able to have any alcohol yet and I feel like I'm not benefiting from the same buzz that you two are, but I'm very much enjoying the conversation. Are we coming across? <laughs> like, so I'm going to open some more now. Let's, <laughs> some Russian some Russian vodka, some USSR um Vodka. Nostrovia. Yes, that. <laughs> like, very much that. Um, right, that's what I was going to say. So uh, in uh, the UK now, um, in I mean, I'm talking about England here, It's it's gotten so much better for LGBTQ plus people. Um, I work with adults with learning disabilities and I go into colleges and schools quite a lot. Now, I went into a college the other day and there was... Um, there was a notice board, massive notice board, LGBTQ plus inspirational people. And it was people like of history that were plastered all over this board. And even in 2003, when I left school, you would never have got that. And I just turned around. I was just like, Do you know what? Like, that is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Now, I've never been ashamed of who I am or what, or, or what I do. Um, but just to see that and to hear kids and that be like, yeah, it's cool. Like who cares? It's, it's very um, progressive, I would say. And I, I think yeah, normalize I, it. Like yeah, absolutely. normalize it. Yeah. Um, take the exceptional aspect out of it and make it just normal. Emma yeah. is so good at doing that. Oh, I can imagine she's an so amazing good. teacher. And I'll just throw in a little anecdote there just to sort of add weight to what you're saying, Ollie. So do you remember in the cinema, they used to do those postcards. You know, they used to have like loads of free postcards. I don't know if they had them in your Yes, local. yeah, no, they yeah. did, yeah. So just when I was in, as I was leaving in sixth form, so that was 2002, there was, uh, it was just around the time that they released that advertising campaign that said um, some people were gay. Get over it. Get over it, yeah. Yeah. And the complete meltdown that the staff had that people were bringing these postcards into school and leaving them around the place was just... <laughs> insane whereas now there's displays in every school you go into about it so it just shows that that move on and that was from like that was kids leaving it around that wasn't even like 
a teacher doing a display, do you know, and it just this uproar at these these. That's how real change happens: is the people that are affected taking matters into their own hands and just goddamn absolutely, and it's beautiful. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know, Kate, if you've heard about a musical called. Uh, so it's on the it's on the West End. So what would be, I guess, Broadway over there? Um, called Jamie. Have you heard about that no. one? So no. there was this reality TV documentary that was broadcast over here, and it was of a, a, a teenager that um, was um, trans, and he decided to go to school um, as a she. And everyone was very supportive of this. And they've made a whole massive musical out of this documentary. And it's like one of the world's, sorry, one of the UK's like best-selling musicals. Like it's mad, like how quickly it seems to be progressing. And I know we're in the South, in London, it seems to be a little bit more progressive than other places. It's touring nationally, mm-hmm. Ollie. Is it? Well, there yeah, you go. It's due to come That's fantastic. Some point, so. Yeah. So, I mean, That's I just, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. And I know that we are a lot smaller than the US. Um, what? And, yeah, I know. Madness. Madness. I Every time I've been to America, I've loved it. I've had such a nice time. Um, just putting that out there. <laughs> Deep down, we're very nice people. We just, you know, kind of, we got a lot of work to do. Just got to iron some things out. And I think we need to be honest about our past as well, um, rather than skimming over it i think but i'm a lefty like yourself the most work to do <gasps> i have to show you guys something because i went to go close one of my notebooks and it's very important that you all see what's on the back of one of my notebooks ah amazing i thought you were showing us the uh, the mcdonald's, McDonald's sign. Thing. <laughs> uh, the, the the mcdonald's blue lives matter sticker nah. <laughs> the, the yeah a little commentary on the corporatization of police but you know that's neither here nor there where did you but get that sticker you. from i don't have a sticker where do i get a sticker from oh uh, very limited this got mailed out like ten thousand years ago i think yeah. i don't even know if that was patreon related that was just like a hey we like you guys send yeah. us your address we had we we that's the only merch we've ever produced ourselves and we had, we had unlimited runs we let everybody else do the other merch so it's all like <laughs> you know the artists get the money for the other merch whereas this is that's the only thing we've ever produced we didn't sell it we sent it out um and there are a few lying around ollie if i can find one lying around i'll pop you one in the post don't want it now. Okay, like an afterthought. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll send it to someone else that does want it then, Ollie. <laughs> no, I do want it. I'm a massive fan. I was saying to Dan the other day that it, it was the first podcast I ever subscribed to with real life ghost stories, like ever. <laughs> I have a whole hilarious story about how I started listening to real life ghost stories, but we'll save that for another time. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm conscious of the fact that this is pushed two hours, I think. Which is great. Yeah, it's been absolutely really? fascinating. But I also am feeling for the fact that we should probably wrap it up. Yeah, because yes. you know it's going to be at least a four-part documentary at this rate. Um, but you, you guys have <laughs> been thoroughly everything I imagined and more. Um, I'm so grateful that you shared your knowledge and your research with us, and I am also so grateful that you've both been drinking because it added a nice little bit of passion <laughs> to it, which is great. Um, well, glass number five. Five. I feel really mean Boy. doing the intro when this is going out on your podcast, Ollie, and uh, on your video channel. And I'm just, but I'm just taking you're, over. You're the one who bullied us into this. Like you facilitated the whole thing. You stayed diligent about making it happen, and it's it true. was fun. So, like, no, nah, this is. 
I also we let you down on at least you, three occasions. Man. But we do it all for you. When you were messaging today, I thought, oh, he's going to cancel. He's going to cancel. He's going to cancel. So this, this, is, this has been what has got me through this week, knowing that this is, this is happening and the fact that we, we did a lot of our recording yesterday. So I haven't even got that looking like I haven't got that over the weekend. I'm doing some other recording tomorrow, uh, Saturday rather. I was just like, yes. So I was definitely not. There was a moment where I was running around the house talking to Kate on Zoom on my phone, looking for that part of the Mac where I was like, this isn't going to happen. What is going yeah. on? <laughs> it takes up a lot of time, doesn't it? Like a lot of my episodes only come to like, what, 10, 15 minutes. But that's like 10 pages of stuff written out and 10 pages of research. But it's what? just... It's another thing that I admire about you both, both, is that you do it on your own. I'm oh, such a it. lunatic. I handwrite my freaking notes. And I do it by bullet point, so I don't want to know how many pages it would be if I actually... want to see this? These are like, my notes from today. Like, yeah, this is like the World Trade Organization uh, uh, riots start in Seattle in 1999. Start here, and then two, two, three, four. Uh, and so I know that roughly four to six pages will be 12 to 15 minutes of... And that's just bullet points. Um, so if I hit seven pages, I'm like, oh, cool, it's a two-parter now. <laughs> i appreciate that it. you guys do the research it makes it way more valid and it always means that i learned something from them i think if you just did it from the top of your head we'd know yeah people are always <laughs> like people are like how do you know so much stuff and i'm like i really don't know that much stuff i'm just really good at homework <laughs> i just write everything down it's fine <laughs> okay thanks so much guys i think we'll just call it time there thank you uh, all right see you next time bye bye i'm guessing we'll do this again <laughs>